preach your word to your people. There's no greater thing than the gospel to us, Lord. The word of God. It sustains us in difficult times and in hard times and good times. Lord, it's what we stand on. We have nothing without it. Lord, we pray that you would encourage our hearts to reject the world's wisdom. It's all passing away. It's, it's always changing. It's, it's inaccurate, Lord, and most of it leads to death. But your word, your word changes not, the Bible tells us, because you do not change. So, Lord, I pray you would help River Bend Community Church continue to hold a tight grip on the word of God and the glory of Christ as we watch our world pass away. May we have joy as we run this race to the very end. Whatever time or date or whatever you have in store for us, may we run right to that tape, Lord. May this sermon encourage us to do just those things. In Jesus' name, amen. C.S. Lewis once said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. What a statement written so long ago by a man we've all enjoyed many of the things he's written through the years. There is no happiness or peace apart from the Lord. You can pursue it in every way by uh, physical intimacy, by money, by prestige. You can pursue it all you want, and you will never, never attain true peace and happiness. And you cannot have it apart from God. He is the grantor of those things. And yet, yet we, even as Christians, and I want to remind, I want to say this several times throughout this sermon, we tend at times to listen to the world. And it's dangerous. And it causes difficulties in our life. And so this morning, I want to remind you through the Word of God that God has a different plan for us. First Peter chapter 1, the Word of God is just so phenomenal. I love this verse. It says in verse 20 this, For he, that's Christ, who was foreknown before the foundations of the world, if Jesus knew us before the foundations of the world, certainly he knew that the plan was his Son to come to this world, has appeared to us in these, these last times for our sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Now listen to this. So that your faith and hope are in God. See, that's the goal of the gospel. That's the goal of God's word is to always teach us to put our hope, our faith in God, not in this world system. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, God has allotted to each one of us a measure of faith. I think that's an astounding verse. I was contemplating that verse over my time of being flat on my back. Lord, you've given us a measure of faith. And, and the key verb there is he has given it to us. Meaning you would not have your faith if God would not give it to you. You cannot faith your way to God. You cannot somehow humanly bring about enough faith to get yourself to God. God must do this sovereign work in your life. And he gives you this measure of grace so you believe and you follow him. And yet, listen, the world affects us. We stagger and stumble at times. But God's faith holds true in us. And we repent of not looking to him. We repent of trying to live according to the worldly wisdom. And we press on. Turn with me to Psalms 1. I meditated on this psalm this week as well. Um, such a great opening psalm. I, I know you, many of you probably have memorized it. But it's a psalm to remind us of where we find our strength and what happens to those who find or attempt to find their strength through the world. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. How blissful. How blissfully joyful is the Hebrew word there. This person is full of joy because he does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked. The wicked would be any of those who have any other means of, of anything for man other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Everything else leads to hell. Doing good, doing all these things that you think would help improve your status before God, those are all things of the counsel of the wicked. <clears throat> nor, path, nor stands in the path of sinners. Stands is what you believe in, right? I stand for this. We stand for the truth of the word of God. Nor sits, that means you confirm with the seat of the scoffers, those who reject God's word. But notice this. <coughs> His delight is in the law of the Lord. Oh, I love that word, delight. See, there's a real difference between those who find duty. Duty is, I've got to go to church. I've, I've got to do such things. I've, I've got to keep such a standard because I want God to bless me. Or, or, or this is just the way I was trained. So that's duty. That will find yourself with not delight. But, but this person, this one here, he delights or she delights in the law, the Torah, the truth, the word of the Lord. And day and night, day and night you think about this stuff. When you're sick, you think about it. When you're well, you think about it. As you travel up and down the highways and byways of life, as you serve the Lord, even though you're engaged in business, you're engaged in things that are going on, you are not very far, listen to this, you are one thought away from the things of God. That's what this is talking about. It's the same thing when we say we are to never, we are to always pray without ceasing. Our relationship with God is at the point, this is the delightful person, this is the one who is blessed, is, is blissfully joyful, is just one thought away from the things of God. This is where God wants us to be, not in the world's wisdom. Notice this person is like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. It's been hard to go out west, and I've lived all my life out there, 50-some-odd years, and droughts just come and go. And it's an amazing thing to live in the high desert and run cows out in the middle of nowhere and find a, a grove of trees, and there's water, and they're healthy, and they're strong, and you always find cattle there, or you'll find livestock, or you'll find wildlife there. Everything is there because there's strength, because those roots are deep. They're deep, and they yield its fruit in its season. Things happen just the way God desires in your life. Leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. There, your roots are deep into the truth of God's word, and good things happen. But notice this, the wicked are not so. Some of your translation might say, not so with the wicked. <laughs> not so with them. The Bible says they're like the chaff, which the wind drives away and if you've ever been around grain that has been de-chaffed it and and the shell that as we call the shaft laying around it it just blows around in circles and and even i've seen storms of it just go around and blow and it just gets pushed around by whatever the winds of time are it has no value that's what happens to the wicked Whatever the next fear-mongering truth that comes down through government or media or whatever else pushes them around and drives them away into fear and captivity. But the Bible says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. They will not stand before God and honor and glory and worship Him or stand with Him in a sense. They will, in fact, be on their knees and they will be headed to judgment nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. Isn't that interesting? You know, someday believers from Adam to the last of the elect will stand together and be the assembly of the righteous. That's a, that's a daunting thing to think about that, right? To stand there with Adam. Hey, Adam, how you doing? <laughs> Thanks for believing in God. I know you had some rough times there in the garden, but it looks like you rebounded and believed in God. You'd be there with all of them, with the Peters and Pauls, with the grandmas and grandpas who taught the word of God to you, all of us there together, assembled in, with the righteous, all righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ, but not the sinner right here. And notice in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way. You've got to remind yourself of that when you're sick. You've got to remind yourself of that when you're going through difficulties, right? 
relationships, whatever it may be, finances, struggles of some sort that, that we live in. Somebody said this week, you know, sometimes we just get, as Christians, we don't think biblically and we don't realize we're going to get sick in this world. <laughs> this world has fallen, man. It's a disaster. The airborne diseases out there alone should scare the tar out of people. <laughs> and yet God has control of these things, right? He knows our path. And that's not fun being sick. Trust me, I'm still trying to get over it. And my sweetie's still not well at home. And, and, and it's not fun. But never did the Lord not know my way. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting to know the Lord knows the way of the righteous? Oh, but look at this conjunction here at the end of verse 6. That the way... See, there's another way, isn't there? There's another path. The Hebrew word is for path, way, design. That's, that's, that's what this word's about here. It says there's another path. And it's of the wicked. It's of those who reject God's word as absolute truth. That's who the wicked are. They reject God's word. That means they reject Christ. They reject the gospel. They reject everything the Bible teaches. They reject that. They do not wholly take that in by faith and believe it. That's who this path is. Notice they will perish. They will perish. And so, brothers and sisters... There is a perfect wisdom prepared before time for us. It includes all what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelations. We have the Word of God in it containing the great master plan of God's salvation for us. Now, I'm still in introduction. I've been sick for a few weeks and thinking about this because I haven't been able to be here to teach it to you. So I'm all wound up and I will try to save some for second service. Romans, excuse me, back in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through, through 2, 5, which that's how far we've got. His apostle Paul has been assisting, he's just been insisting that the gospel owes nothing to worldly wisdom. It owes nothing to worldly wisdom. He's made this point um, over and over. And the gospel and the sufficiency of scripture, it still to this day remains foolish to the world. And it always will. Outside of the work of the Spirit to open somebody's heart and mind to the truth, what we teach here, what we believe here, what we do here, we've been nailed this last few weeks, I don't know if you know that, for what we do here, will always be foolish to the world. It's foolish. The Bible has reminded us. So think about this, the message, that's the Word of God here, the messenger, that's you or I who carries it, all those who believe it, they are despised by the so-called wise and great of every age. Every age mocks us. They mock our view of creation. They mock our view of the creator. They mock our view of salvation. They mock our view of roles of relationships and husbands and wives and gender. They mock, mock, mock. And the Bible tells us that we should not not expect that. That's what the world does. But Christianity, I want you to remind yourself of this this morning. Christianity is far from contemptible. And through the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul is going to put on the display of something remarkable. He's going to show us the, the, the gospel, how we see it and how we hear it and how we believe it. He's going to show us the power of the cross. He's going to show us the power of the Holy Scriptures and that they all personify the wisdom of God. God has given us a wisdom that this passage is going to show us that the world's wisdom is passing away. That's an amazing word. I'll show you it between we get there. It's an amazing word to tell us that it's going to completely fail. And everyone who holds to it will perish with it. So in light of this, let's strengthen ourselves to have the resolve to trust the word of God. Let's look at a couple of thoughts this morning. Number one, the Christian receives eternal wisdom while the world's wisdom will pass away. The Christian receives eternal wisdom while the world's wisdom is passing away. Look at verse 6 with me. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, 
a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Well, I love this little first section here. Notice he says, yet we. Now, that stuff catches a, a preacher's mind. It catches the thoughts and hearts of those of us who study for a living. Despite the, the, the constant pressure of Paul's preaching, he, uh, and, and how he didn't come with persuasive words, and he was mocked for that, and he did this so that their faith would not rest on human wisdom, but it would, their hope would be in the Lord. He, he wants them to know that, nevertheless, no, 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 mind, no mind all of the pressure that he felt of those who mocked him for the gospel, he does speak wisdom. And it's a wisdom not of this world. Notice the, the plural pronoun we there. And, and I love this. This reminds us Paul's not alone. And I need to be reminded of this. And you need to be reminded of this. We're not alone. And most likely he's referring to men like Apollos and Peter and Titus and Timothy and many others that he names at the end of each letter that he writes who held to the sufficiency of God's word. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We're a little bit light this week. A lot of people vacationing. There's some sick and out. But look at all of us that are here, 9 o'clock in the morning, all affirming these truths. I trust. Isn't that encouraging? And across this country, there'll be thousands and hundreds of thousands of people gathered who still believe in God's word. And so Paul says, look, yet we, we're not alone here. And I love that there's no division between men who hold to the pure sufficiency of God's word. Yeah, there may be some uh, disagreements on what we would call non-essentials, but think about it down through time. I preach in front of you what Apostle Paul preached in the first century. 2,000 years of believers hearing the exact same thing and believing it. Isn't that amazing? Does that stir your heart at all? It could be Apostle Paul in this pulpit. Because the words that we speak are God's words, his wisdom, not man's. And so down through the ages... Century after century, we find men who preached God's word. Think about our reformers that we are encouraged by. Those in Reformed theology, we look at those men not held in some high esteem that is beyond what they should be, but we're grateful for them because we know what they did and when they did it. They did it in a time where the word of God had been rejected. The church now had taken over the authority of the word of God. They stood for the doctrine of salvation when it had been lost in so many places, in so many churches. We stand with those men. We stand with men today. I loved our late friend, R.C. Sproul. I grew up cutting my teeth listening to him. There was a few non-essentials we didn't wholly hold together on. But man, the essentials... I loved it. I learned so much from that man. The Dr. MacArthur, I was raised on Dr. MacArthur. I started listening to him when I was a junior in high school. He's become a dear friend, and I have been encouraged by him more than ever this year. His stance and his, his stance on the church and the word of God and why we keep pressing on, he's encouraged our soul. Pipers and others that God has blessed this church right now with, but think about the thousands of nobodies. They have a church of 50 in New England. And a liberal state that has tried to shut them down. Pastors in Canada, their churches have been burned or even imprisoned. Think about men around the world who they can say this, we hold to the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we're not alone. Let's not give up. Let's not let a virus scare us. doesn't mean we're not careful and, and considerate so we can stay healthy and teach the word of God. But at the same time, we fear not. And we're in a long line of people who have stood. Now, God has called men to preach. But wow, ladies, do you see in every end of the epistle how many women he acknowledges for the sake of the ministry and the cost of the ministry for it to go forward. This is a joint effort of men, women, and children of what we do and what we stand on. 
And so listen, you have the authority of God's word. You have the infallibility of God's word. You have the inerrancy of God's word. And you have the all-sufficient word for everything from salvation to daily living. You know, when you think about that, you build confidence in it. You build confidence that you can say to a lost person, I have the answer you need. Now, you know God has to save them. But listen, there is great humble confidence to say, hey, friend, I have the confidence to give you God's unchanging word, and it'll change your life forever. Notice he goes on to say, we do not speak wisdom among those who, uh, excuse me, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Some think that Paul's here came in, maybe given a little challenge or a little bit of a shot towards this prideful church, but I don't think that's what he's doing. I believe he's sincerely challenging the true mature in the church. That's what he's after. He's challenged them, those who are mature in Christ, to rise up and accept biblical wisdom, stand and say no to the world's wisdom. He's pushing the church right now. And that's 2,000 years ago. And look, I think the scriptures are pushing us right now. The church right now, River Bend Community Church, stand up. Stand on the word of God. Resist the world's foolishness. It's passing away. Certainly Paul understood that not all Christians are in the same place in their spiritual journey, right? We'll see as we get to chapter 3, he says this in verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. And that's part of the problem, right? There are those who are still infants in Christ. They have not, they have not trusted him in a way that they begin to reject fleshly wisdom and turn to the Lord. So Paul's addressing those who are mature in this passage, I think. And look, if the mature are not addressed, the immature don't get discipled. Do you understand that? Sometimes churches like ours who teach word by word, verse by verse, teach doctrine, teach, they'll say, well, look, you guys just teach everybody everybody's head. I, I don't think that's true here. I think even new in faith come and say, wow, pastor, I'm learning so much. But look, we have to challenge the mature. If the mature don't say no to the worldly wisdom, who is going to help the immature? See, this is why we're discipling church. We train you so you'll train others. That's the goal. That's God's plan. That's been his plan from all along. He took 12 men. He saved 11 of them. He trained them and he sent them out. That's what he does. And so he's challenging them. And look, I love the mature. You know why? Because Paul said, I, I don't shrink back teaching the full counsel to you as he spoke to the elders in, of Ephesus in, in, in Acts chapter 20. You get the full counsel. What do you want? Half the counsel? Is that what you want? I think a lot of people do. We had someone leave the church recently because they didn't like our series on salvation. They just wanted part of the counsel of God. They didn't want the full counsel. Oh, that Ephesians 1 is too much for us. Really? You just want part of the counsel of God's word? You don't want the whole counsel of how God saves us? How he knows us from the foundations of the world? How he knows his own children, his elect? You don't want that? You don't want to find the comfort and joy of knowing that God makes no mistakes. See, these passages are for the mature, for us to grow, so that we would not be easily persuaded. I think we have to be careful not to segregate Christians. We teach the Word of God, we believe in the power of the Spirit. I have all confidence in the world that my studies in the scriptures, that God, through his spirit, can take the truth that I teach and pierce every heart in here. Mature or maybe a babe in Christ. See, that's confidence in the word, right? That's confidence in the spirit of God to do what I can't do. You and I can sit down and have conversations, and on our own, I may say something you don't understand, but the spirit of God takes the word of God, and he helps even infants believe and understand. So I don't think in any way that we should be segregating classes of Christianity. But we encourage all professing believers to grow. 
the, the writer of Hebrews said it this way, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, the Messiah, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and, a faithful, uh, and faith towards God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, there, were, there are those who say, oh, great, Jesus saved me. He died on a cross for me. That beautiful gospel. But they never, never venture in deeper than that. Well, how did he save you? And when? And, and what resources? And, and how did he know? And, and what, was his, what was the great wisdom that God had before the foundations? They never want to pursue that. And you know what happens? You leave somebody just an infant in Christ and not bring them along, not disciple them in the deep things of the Lord. Guess what will happen? Just as this verse says in Hebrews 6, 1, it says they'll turn from repentance to dead works again. They'll start to, start to not see the glorious, magnificent grace of God in every aspect of our life. See, this is why you keep growing, because you have a tendency, we have a tendency to turn back and go to the weaker things at times. You get out of the Word, you get out of church for a while, and I promise your mind will drift back to dead works. It happens every time. I hate being away from church. Not because I enjoy preaching or this is my calling. I enjoy the reactions and the relationships that the Spirit of God gives us in here that sharpens me. I love being with you. Because you help me love the Lord. And you help me grow. And so the Lord's saying, look, there's certain elementary teachings you have to leave. And what happened to the First Corinthian church was... Uh, the Corinthian church in the first century, was they, they, they hung on to the elementary principles and then they ran back to the world's wisdom. We call this integration. Integrationism. It's happening in the church today. We integrate all these psychology and all this stuff of the world and we try to mix it with a little bit of Bible. And it's dangerous and deadly. And it's not of God. Paul is not dividing people into classes that don't anyway. The Gnostics did. The Gnostics of Paul's day said, oh, there's those who have reached perfection and there's those who never will. But Paul's never about this. But he is sympathetic to those who are weak. Look at 1 Thessalonians with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Excuse me, chapter 5. Check out this. Great set of verses here to remind us. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. I love the one another's. This is one of the many, many one another's, right? Have you encouraged anybody this week in the Lord? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. That's, that's what we do. We build one another up. We disciple one another. We care for one another. We pray for one another. We even have to rebuke one another from time to time. When you see a brother in sin, go to him. This is what the Bible tells us to do. So encourage one another. Build one another just as you are also doing, right? He sees this happening in the church. But verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, who have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. They had pastors and they had elders. They had leaders in their church. And it was easy to look past them and try to Look to the, to the more gifted in there. He says, look, I want you to, to appreciate those. God sent those for your growth. He's given, given you, them charge over you, care over your soul. But then he says this, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. And then he says this, verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. You know, there's times to take on the unruly. There's times when somebody does something that's detrimental to the gospel, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where that person has to be admonished. Hey, brother, hey, sister, that gossip is hurting, not helping. Yes, their relationship is struggling, but your gossip's hurting it. Stop it. What's coming out of your mouth? Is it good? Is it kind? Is it building up? Is it edifying? There's times for this, right? And, and that's, that's somebody who is at least acting weak, right? They've acted unruly. 
They're not caring for the one another's. Notice it says encourage the faint-hearted. These are verses that as elders we go back to often because there are faint-hearted people among the church. They, they, their faith is, is weak at times. They, they get pushed around by, by the things they see, not the things they believe. They, they struggle to understand that God has a plan for their life and it's difficult on them and they're, they're faint-hearted. They, they're weak in those areas. They need to have an arm put around them. See, this is different than a rebuke or an admonishment. This is one who needs to be cared for. Do you know somebody who is faint-hearted or maybe you're faint-hearted? Sometimes you just got to walk up in COVID and hug somebody. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> we found a faint-hearted brother who needed a couple of men to go spend some time with him. And it cost. But I'd do it again because he was faint-hearted. Do you know someone that needs a hug? you know someone that needs a word of encouragement? Find that person. See, we are to, to care for them, help the weak. Sometimes we're weak, aren't we? Even the strong can be weak. This last couple of weeks, man, Gina and I like we're exhausted to make it to the kitchen. Like, man, I don't think I could do that again. <laughs> this stuff really takes you, it takes it out of you. And then they're just weak, right? There's times of weakness. You've been dabbling in sin. It's weakened your spiritual strength. You have not repented of something. And you're becoming weak. And when you become weak, you become vulnerable. That's exactly what happened to me. The weeks leading up to getting sick, I had pushed myself too hard. I was struggling with just health, and, and I was just susceptible. I was weak. But it happens spiritually too, doesn't it? We get weak, don't we? We get standing on our own two feet and trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We become weak. Do you know someone who is weak in the church who needs you to go pray with them? Study God's word with them. Notice he says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Man, lack of patience in the church is the lack of the spirit of God in the church. Because it is the fruit of the spirit. Patient with one another. It, it all goes together. Love, joy, peace, kindness, and patience, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and goodness, and self-control. All those things, of course, are the fruit of the Spirit. But patience is something that our Lord has exercised with us for a long, long time, hasn't He? He's patient with us. It's so hard when you see loved ones struggling, isn't it? There's nothing heavier on Gina and I's heart than children or family members who struggle, who maybe don't know the Lord or are struggling in sin. It's hard, right? You want to get in there and you want to grab them by the collars or by the ears and say, hey! <laughs> Look what the Bible says. It's really plain. Blind. Man, it's hard, isn't it? I want everybody I know to know Jesus. I want everybody I know to love his word. That's, that's my goal. I think that's the goal of the scriptures. But boy, God's timing is not mine. We've got to be patient with one another. This is, this is where God pushes us, Right? Notice, he says in verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. Isn't that interesting? He has to say that to a good church. Thessalonica was a good church. It didn't take you long to read the first couple chapters to realize that this church was laboring in love. This is a good church. This is, uh, this is not one of the seven that we find in Revelations. This is a good church. And yet he has to warn them, don't repay evil for evil. Isn't that our tendency at times? And usually we probably won't do that with each other, but we'll do it with our close relationships. Husbands and wife will lob evil things at each other in arguments. Business, we'll see it in business in the church. We'll see things where people will heave evil towards each other. Paul says, look, don't return evil for evil. Christ died for the evil. 
He goes on to say, but always seek after that which is good for one another, for all peoples. This is what we seek. What's best for you? That's why your pastor gets up and says, hey, if you're not sick, get in church. It's not because I'm mean. Because I know God wants you in church. He died for the church. He wants it assembled. He wants it gathered. He wants it singing, worshiping, preaching, studying God's word together. He wants it discipling and evangelizing. That's what he calls us to do in good times and in bad times. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We seek good for one another. And for all people, we do this with patience. Well, as you turn back to 1 Corinthians 2, it's clear that Growing in Christ is available to every believer, no matter where you're at. The Word of God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. But it's also a rebuke to those who are spiritually lazy. And all God's wisdom is available to the youngest, to the oldest. It doesn't matter where you're at in your walk and your journey. All of God's wisdom is here for you. And there's no secret teachings, Right? That the elders have, and you know, we hold on to that. That's, a, that's what the Reformation came about, right? They held on to that. They dispensed what they wanted. They controlled the people. That's not the New Testament church. New Testament church opens our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation and said, here it is. It's all about him. And we grow from that. And the truth is laid down on every page of the scriptures for every situation you find yourself in, brothers and sisters. Notice he says back in verse 6. Is that only on far as I am? It's a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age. It's a wisdom, however, not of this age nor the rulers of this age. I think Paul is just undeterred here. and He's steadfast in his persistence to point out to the reader that the wisdom which he refers to as not wisdom of the world. And, and you go, Scott, he has been saying this from chapter 1, verse 18, over and over and over. Why does he have to say it? Because we are prone to listen to the world. And so he keeps coming back to this, this thought. Notice he adds the rulers of this age. The word rulers refers to prominent people, prominent positions. Those who have authority and exercise authority over us. And wow, have we watched them fail this last couple of years. And he says, look, these guys don't understand what God's doing. And Paul is not only referring to Greek philosophers here, but he's most likely referring to Jewish and Roman leaders as well. And I think the meaning of this verse is that God's word is rendering those who think the world has the answer completely ineffective. They cannot solve the heart. And look, I, as I said to this, I believe Paul is convinced that God would render their power and wisdom useless. And look, he says this, notice at the end of the verse, that their wisdom is passing away. Isn't that an interesting word? Katageo is a Greek word there. It, it, it can be translated this, um, it means to make completely ineffective. It means Powerless. Literally has used of used up and wasted. That's how Paul looks at the wisdom of the world. It's used up, it's dying. And I think, listen, I think every Christian has to evaluate the effectiveness of the world's wisdom on them. I, man, I've been sitting on this passage for three weeks. And I don't know about you, when you study or get ready to teach, it kind of it has to go through your mind and heart first. And I thought this self, and I'll ask you the same question, but I thought, I said, Lord, where's the wisdom of the world pushing in on Scott Manance? And I thought of several situations in my life, things that I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with or fearful or things are not going the way I would like them to go. And I can see in each and every one of those areas where the wisdom of the world pushed in farther than the word of God pushed in. I'm being dead honest with you. Will you be honest with me? Where in your life does the wisdom of the world have a stronger grip than the word of God? You've got to examine that. 
Because God may put you flat on your back for 14 days and make you look at it. (laughs) And you realize, oh, Lord, I am not trusting you in this area. And you start to examine, you start to repent. See, the Bible says the world's wisdom is passing away, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says the word of God is living. So the wisdom of the world is dead. The word of God is alive. Which do you want to live by? And it's almost foolishness, isn't it? There's probably not a person in here that say, oh, well, let's live by the world, it's dying. And yet we do. And yet we do, over and over. We set our business practices up. We set our marriages around it sometimes. We don't think biblically. And it's dangerous. Second thought. <laughs> the Christian speaks wisdom which God preordained before the ages for our glory. I know it's a long thought, but when I think about this, the Christian speaks wisdom which God preordained before the ages for our glory. Look at verse 7 with me. But we speak, wis- but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our, listen to our glory. Now, I love the strong adversive conjunction here. Notice he's coming off of this, the rulers of this age are passing away in all their wisdom. But then there's this but. It's a strong, what we call, adversive conjunction. It's linking two adverse thoughts together. So in other words, the wisdom we speak is completely opposed to the wisdom of the world. Don't gather. We gather. I'll just start right there. Don't do camp and send your worship leader to go speak. Don't, don't bring 250 kids who need the gospel together. So we just think totally different, don't we? We do things different. And, and it was fascinating as I broke down this verse, the Greek word theos here for God, right? You know that word. That's the emphatic position. So when you read this, you read it this way. But we speak God's wisdom. It's emphatic. It's emphatic. It's opposing the world. This is what we stand on, brothers and sisters. It's, it just marks a great, great separation from the world's wisdom here. Notice we also speak a mystery. And this is not speaking of some mystical or puzzling or difficult to understand what, it's, what it does here is it signifies that in man's own wisdom, he could never penetrate God's word on his own. People read the Bible all the time. Unsaved people. I'm dealing with a dear friend of mine I've been sharing the gospel with for the last year, and he's working his way through the New Testament. And he's not saved yet. So it's really fascinating to talk to him. And I asked him about a particular passage, and he goes, well, I didn't see any of that. <laughs> and so, of course he doesn't. He's just reading it out of his flesh, and... and and here, I, I'm able to, on the fourth T, be able to say, well, hey, let me tell you what that verse means. We can speak wisdom in it, because he can't see it yet. But, he, but not for the elect, not for God's chosen. God has opened up our minds to the truth. So in other words, what's impossible for the world to know the mystery of God's word, particularly the gospel in, in highlighting here, is completely clear to you and I. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me, period. Well, don't we all go there? Isn't that what they say to you? Who tells you they're going to hell? Have you ever been to a funeral and they say, well, this guy's in hell? Nobody goes to hell in the world. And and all the religions of the world teach you're going to get there somewhere. You may not be in the top one. You could be in a bottom one. You may get burned out for a little while. That's all crazy stuff, isn't it? Jesus died for sinners. How come the world can't get that? Because they're not sinners. And they're blind. See, this is why we preach a message that only the Spirit of God can change the hearts of people. Only He can do this. And so look, what's impossible for man to know and to understand the mystery of God's word, particularly the gospel, becomes clear and we understand it and the love of God has revealed truth to the believer. And notice in verse 7, look at here, Paul describes this mystery as hidden wisdom. 
And he's emphasizing the fact that people outside of the precious relationship with Jesus are still in the dark. And God's wisdom is not a matter of common knowledge to the lost. It isn't. Now, we want it to be. (laughs) And you and I carry that message, and we should be faithful evangelists of sharing the gospels who don't know who God's saving. And I'm so glad he didn't tell us. Our job is to share it effectively and clearly as best we can by the help of the Spirit. But yet... God has chosen to hide his truth from some people. We understand that the Bible says that Jesus told the whole parables about it. And yet, the believer, the believer knows what God has done. Notice it says in this verse 7, it says, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Well, what amazing truth. And here's the amazing truth, that the gospel is not some afterthought. Do you see that in the verse? Which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So Jesus and, and the Father and the Spirit, the Trinity, it was out in heaven kind of going down through time and going, well, you know, we're going to have to work with this along the way. I'm not quite sure how it's going to turn out. We might have to tweak a few things as we go along. So that's worldly wisdom. No, no. God, before the foundations of the world, he predetermined. I love that, that word. I, so many people are scared of the word predestination. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I am so glad God has everything lined up and in control. What kind of God is there who doesn't have things in control? I'm so glad, and I love this word. It, it, it brings me security that God had the gospel and it wasn't some afterthought he had predetermined by his own will before the foundations of the world to rescue Scott on such and such day. I couldn't escape his grace. Aren't you glad for that? See, the world doesn't get their mind around that. They wake up and they make their choices. And they'll talk about bad choices. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't, how do they use it? They don't ever use the word sin when an athlete does something horrible. It was, um, Help me. Dumb. Dumb. It was I, uh, indiscretion. I had an indiscretion. You slept with somebody else's wife and then you beat her up. Indiscretion. See, the world just can't get their mind around this, that God would know us, draw us to us, invade us with a knowledge of our sin and a desperate need for Jesus Christ. They just can't get their mind around that. And you, would, you and I would bend our knee to Jesus and, and put our hope, everything in him, that he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he did. Oh, this is beautiful, isn't it? He ordained this. And God's word is, is just stressing his sovereign plan in this text. And then look at this little phrase at the end of 7, to our glory. What? Didn't we get saved for his glory? Amen. We got saved for his glory. He's glorified in saving us. But the Bible says right here to our glory. This is astounding. And notice how it highlights. I think this highlights the love of God. When I preach that series on salvation, you know I said it over and over. And this is the doctrine of love. This is the doctrine of love. This is the doctrine of love. And anyone who believes the doctrines of grace in the scriptures understands that salvation is the doctrine of love. And when he says to our glory, this highlights the love of God to include us in his plan before the foundations of the world to give us a deeper understanding of his tenderness, his kindness, his justice, his holiness, all saturated in his grace and mercy. That is the love of God. And that's for our glory. And so I I thought of this. I said, oh Lord, before time existed, before the creation of the foundations of the world, you you were concerned for my spiritual well-being. And you planned for me to hear and to receive and obey the gospel personally so that I would receive your glory as my own. And what that means is the Father looks at me in the glory of his Son, equal equal with him. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. I have the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, I know. <laughs> You're like me. You look in the mirror and you examine. I hope you examine yourself as we study. You go, oh, it doesn't look too glorious today. But that's not how the Lord looks at you and I. He looks at us blameless, right? He always looks at us in his son. He does not see us outside of that relationship. But you and I like to think that that's worldly wisdom. That's dead works. See, when we see ourselves in Christ, we repent quicker, we deal with sin quicker, we want to walk with him quicker. Because he's made us glorious. And he says, God, I don't know if I can handle this phrase to our glory. I'm used to being kind of the worm theology, you know, you're sinners. No, no. See, there's a, there's a position of us that we have to understand that God looks at us as his own sons and daughters. He has a table place set for you and I. Do you know that? And whether you die of COVID or get hit by a car or you go in the rapture, he's got a place for you. All laid out from the foundations of the world. Not added on as the, maybe the plan had to need to be tweaked. He knew how many place settings to set. Isn't that beautiful? He loves us. And, and look, that is such glory. When you stand before Jesus, when you walk through the gates into heaven, he says, welcome in, my beloved. You wear the righteousness of my son. You stand in his glory. <laughs> I know... <laughs> After being sick for so long, I didn't feel very glorious the last few days, the last few weeks. But I have to remind yourself, he looks at me in his son's righteousness. Verse 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, I got to finish with this verse, and we'll pick it up next week, but the mystery of God in his gospel was never known until God himself revealed it. And, and with all their power and authority that they think they have, the rulers of the age, the wise and learned, the philosophers, the news people, the administrations, all of them, teachers, nobles, all kinds of people with authority, they continue to be completely blind to the plan of God. Notice it says the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. And so Scott, well, how do you know this? Well, it says right in the verse, because if they would have known it, they would have never crucified Jesus. If they believed the book of Genesis, one book, if they believed the first three chapters... Just the first three chapters that had never crucified the Lord of glory, let alone the testimony of the scriptures. See, they didn't believe it, and so when the only one who is God fully displayed himself as God came, they killed him. But Jesus knew this. Remember, he hung on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they what? They do not, they know not what they're doing. And I think sometimes our sympathetic heart goes, oh, yeah, they just didn't know. No! Their blind ignorance, rejection of God's word caused them to not know. You go, well, how do you know this? Well, Paul says the exact same thing about himself. He says, I was in sinful ignorance of God. I knew his promises, but I willfully rejected them. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, he says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, don't let that word ignorantly mean, oh, that's not fair. Everyone knows there's a God. Romans 2 says it wrote us on our hearts. This is a sinful rejection, and Paul knew it. But he knew what could overcome it. He says, and the grace of our Lord was more abundant than my ignorance of sin. The grace of God was greater than that. And the faith and love which are found in Christ alone. So look, the Lord of glory is one of the greatest statements here. And this is who they crucified. 
It's one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus because it sums up all that God is in Christ, right? John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. I mean, it's all showing that Jesus Christ is God. He's creator, he's sustainer, he's all of that. And yet, if they would have just put away their worldly wisdom, and look, he's talking about men who studied the Old Testament for living. They quoted full books of the Bible. And yet, when the Messiah showed up, they killed him. Because they held to their own wisdom, not the wisdom of God. And people to this day, if Jesus, it's been said many times, if Jesus returned, what would they do? They'd crucify him again, wouldn't they? They would crucify him again. I told Jehovah Witness one time that on my porch. (laughs) I said, your relatives, the Pharisees, they killed Christ and you would do the same. And let me show you. And I began to walk them through the scriptures. And finally, I got them to shut up enough where they listened to it and began to realize this is what you do. This is what you've created. You don't need a savior. That's why he's not God. He may be a God to you, but he isn't the God. And the God is going to judge you someday because you're going to, you reject him. And boy, they don't like that at all, but you have to show them that. He is incredible, isn't he? See, to the lost, he's nothing. But to us who are saved, he's indescribably glorious. He's equal to the Father. He's completely captured us by his person and his work. We see him as exact representation of the Father. He's the explanation of God. We see him as creator, sustainer of everything that exists. But most importantly, we see him as one who loves us from the foundations of the world. And we put our hope in him. And the loss... They can't do that. So God opens their hearts because they hold to worldly wisdom. Brothers and sisters, we carry a great message. And whether you're running on half speed, like I failed today, or you're running on full speed today, it doesn't depend on us. Preach the word in season and out of season. We have the hope of glory the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not falter. Let's run for his glory. Father, I thank you for such a wonderful church, a group of people, Lord, who are battling along in this life. We don't always do everything perfect according to your word, Lord. We're saved sinners, and so we stumble and fall and get weak at times, Lord. But we do know you, Lord. We know your word. And we hold to it. We find our strength in it, Lord, and it sustains us in difficult times. And so, Lord, I pray that Riverbend Community Church, all these brothers and sisters that are assembled here on a Sunday morning, that we would be strengthened this morning to believe your word, not the world's wisdom. God, help us. Like the old hymn writer wrote, Lord, we are prone to wander. We're even prone to try to leave the God we love. But Lord, constantly bring us back. Don't let us wander too far, Lord. Lord, do whatever it takes. We give you, we give you the right you already have to, to deliver whatever we need in our life to bring us back on that beautiful, gracious, straight and narrow road. Lord, help us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and and share a closing benediction with you? Our gracious Heavenly Father, because you planned our salvation from the foundations of the world and have given us your spirit and your word, we now see you and are captured by your beauty. We now hear your word and entrust our salvation and daily living to its truths. The glory of your son, Jesus Christ, and his finished work has become our glory. We have been forever sealed by your spirit. Thank you for the new heart of flesh you have given us so we can love you and worship you according to your word. And thank you, Lord that you did not hide these truths from us, but you revealed them to us so that we would have love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Amen.